John chapter 2, verse 15 to verse 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. It's a wonderful occasion that we have today in witnessing the baptism of our 11 friends. All we can say is to God be the glory, great things he has done. Because human beings cannot produce Christians. It's completely impossible. It is the Holy Spirit who does it. Yes, he uses instruments, human instruments, but never think that it is the human beings themselves who are producing it. It is an immediate act of God when a person turns from sin and puts his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what is even more exciting is that it is an appropriate time because we are going through a series of messages on Sunday mornings on the subject of assurance of salvation. And if there is anything that many of us who are older Christians wish we had gone through at the beginning of our Christian lives, it is precisely that. How can I tell that I am a true Christian? Or, putting it in a different way, when I'm beginning to undergo doubts, how do I still get convinced that these doubts are false? I'm in fact a child of God. And that's what we've been doing as we've been going through um, First John. Now, clearly, most of our friends baptized today are from the SOS Children's Village, and uh, they will be going back. I don't want to compete with all these bishops that have been mentioned in this place this morning. So I'm sure if you are still interested, they will find a way of getting messages across to you. Okay, so I don't want to compete with my fellow bishops. However, having said that, last week when we were in this passage of scripture, we were looking at that poem just before the passage we had read. And it's the poem beginning with verse 12. It says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, Father, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, Father, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. That's what we were looking at. And basically what we saw there was a positive message. John has generally been negative. He's, he's been saying, if this is true,
God loves you. You are not a Christian. It doesn't matter what you are claiming. You are not someone who knows God. You are not walking with God. But as he enters this poem, he's positive. He's, he's basically saying, look, don't run away. Don't scamper for cover. I know that something positive can be said about you to whom I am writing. In other words, the general spiritual atmosphere of uh, the, the people to whom I'm writing is positive. And he's therefore giving us positive assurances of salvation. And they are related to the various stages of spiritual growth that we are in. So, for instance, when he speaks about little children, it's obviously speaking about those who have just become converted. And he's saying, one way in which you are able to tell the truth of your spiritual condition is the peace that you've experienced in the forgiveness of sins, trusting in Jesus for his name's sake, not yourselves. And also, it is the fact that the God who was previously just a philosophical X in the equation is now very real to you. You know the Father. And then he speaks about those who are immature yet, and he's speaking about them in terms of knowing him who is from the beginning. In other words, him who does not change. Him who was the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of Moses and, and Joseph and David and so on. That same God who was faithful to them has also remained faithful to you. You, you have come to know him in that sense. And experience your knowledge and consequently you trust him for all your circumstances however disappointing they might seem to be. And then those who are in between, it is the defeat of sin. It is the, 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 the fight against sin. It is this growing in sanctification, putting to death the mysteries of the body, those things that are pulling you down, you are overcoming them. You are able to say, at one time, this is the way I was. But that is largely changing. Yes, I'm not yet perfect. I'm still dealing with some remaining sin. But I am positively going forward. And what we saw is that when these realities are happening in our lives, that is assurance of salvation in itself. Well, this morning we go back to the negative. That's true, isn't it? Do not love the world, he says. This is back to the negative. How do we understand this? Well, clearly, after encouraging me, the Lord, I'm seeing positive traits in you. John is very quick to say, however, there are things that can mess you up. And it is this, the world. The world. The world. You leave it wrong in your life. And it's going to mess you up. But, so the 
enemy of salvation and his assurance is all over us. It's the world. Hence, the message here, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. What does the Bible mean by this phrase, the world? Now there are times when the Bible uses this to refer to the physical world in which we are. What we would refer to as planet Earth. With all the trees and vegetation and, and animals and, and uh, rivers and mountains that are there. This world that we are in. But that's not the sense in which it is being used here. This phrase, as John uses it, refers to that sphere of human existence that is under the control of the devil. That sphere that is outside the kingdom of God. That sphere that is in rebellion against the rule and law of Almighty God. And in that sense, therefore, the Bible refers to the devil as the prince of this world, or the ruler of this world. And although time is not with us, I'm really tempted that we at least see three passages in John's Gospel in which the devil is referred to that way. First of all, John chapter 12. If you take with me then John chapter 12 and verse 31. And what I want you to notice is that in each one of these citations is Jesus, the Son of God, who is calling the devil this way. John 12 and verse 31. I begin from verse 30. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast down. The ruler of this world is about to be thrown down as it were. We find the same two chapters later. Chapter 14 and verse 30. Chapter 14 and verse 30. Still Jesus speaking. He says there, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Right, let us go from here. Again, the ruler of this world being the devil. He's coming in terms of the fact that he's bringing about a very dark hour. Because part of the, the, the planning, the machinations, the, the conspiring against the life of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth was clearly the evil one inspiring his enemies. And Jesus is saying, Look at what's going to happen. Here I am, I've lived a perfect life. I've loved everybody around, I've taught everyone the word of God, but you see what he is going to do against me. 
we will give him space to achieve his purpose. And lastly, chapter 16, two chapters later, chapter 16 and verse 11. Uh, don't worry, I will simply tune up the PS system inside me. That's one difference between the other bishop <laughs> and myself. Okay. Chapter 16 and verse 11. It says there, let me begin from verse 8, because that will be our sermon this evening. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, you will see me no longer. And here it is. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. That's something the Holy Spirit is going to bring very clearly to your attention. That this ruler of this world has already lost the battle. It's done. It's gone. Jesus is indeed the victor. So clearly, it is in that sense that the Bible wants us to understand the world. It is that sphere of human existence which is under the rule, under the inspiration of the evil one. And therefore, for instance, when in the next verse he speaks about the things of this world, and gives us some idea of what they are. Look at what they are. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the arms, or the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now clearly, those things are ungodly. They do not inspire worship for God. Because the flesh there is the fallen nature. And what does the fallen nature want? It wants sin. It wants to drink in iniquity. It wants to live out an evil life. The lust of the earth is always wanting and wanting and wanting even that which it has no right to whatsoever, it will still go after. And of course, Pride, we all know. It comes before the fall. And to the contrary, Christians are referred to as being not of this world. And again, very quickly, John chapter 17 and verse 14 and verse 16. So back to John's gospel. John chapter 17. The prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14 and verse 16. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. They do not belong to that kingdom that is in rebellion against you, that is chasing after sin and selfishness. 
Verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So clearly, this phrase is not referring to mere physical existence, because in that sense, we are of the world. We, we are at least solidly grounded upon this planet. But the phrase clearly is an all-inclusive phrase that is incorporating people who are outside the kingdom of God, agendas that are outside the rule of God, activities that do not glorify God, and even properties that make us turn away from the living God, so that we end up serving sin instead of glorifying God. So when you put all those things together, that's the world. And John is clearly saying that that's a chief enemy against salvation and against assurance of salvation. These are the things that mess you up. I may be writing to you, assured of your present condition, but if you do not hold, if you do not stop yourself, if you do not take this counsel and not love the world and the things of the world, tomorrow you might not be the kind of individual we want to talk about. That same world that he was speaking about earlier on, that you have overcome. Remember the way he put it. He said, with young men, because you are strong, the word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. That overcoming can be turned right round, and you will be a terrible thing, a whole misery. So as Christians, we are exhorted not to love the world or the things of the world. That's what we are being exhorted to do. Now, a number of you may not have noticed this. In fact, when I noticed it, I was a little surprised if I discovered it is true. That in, in the whole of the New Testament, there are often times in the various books when we are exhorted to do something. The one book in the whole Bible where there is the least number of exhortations is First John. First John simply tends to, to state facts. Simply says, if this is true of you, this then is your true condition. It simply lays down facts. But here is John feeling so strongly about an issue that he forgot the general trend of his letter. He breaks the general trend of his letter and instead ushers a major exhortation. And you can't make the exhortation any harder. Simple as report. Five letters, at least in English. 
Do not love the world. Period. No if clauses in between little rules that you can quickly go in and say, but what if, but uh uh-uh. Don't love the world. Period. Why is that? Why should he go beyond his normal way of handling things? Well, I think before we answer the question why, let us try and understand what he means by not loving the world. Especially because we're supposed to follow God's example, aren't we? And John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. Now why should God be telling us not to love what he loves? Let's, let's be clear about that. In, in John 3.16, the, the word love is to be understood as concern towards salvation. That's the sense in which we have to understand love there. It's not love in terms of affections and, and simply wanting to be together with a sinful world and, and enjoying sinful living. That's not the sense in which God loves the world. It is loving it in terms of getting into action to save the world. Now, if that's what we are doing with the people of this world, then yes, let us love them. Let's engage in white, hot, heat, evangelistic campaigns. Let's not spare time, let's not spare energy, let's not spare sweat to ensure that men and women of this world come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not even spare our heart and culture. Let's go for it. Let us show the world that we love the world. But that's not what John is saying. Brother, what John is saying is this. Do not love the world. He's saying, keep a safe, and listen to this, affectionate distance from it, lest it corrupts your heart. Keep a safe distance, heart distance, from the world. Lest it corrupt your heart. You've no choice. You are in the world. And every so often you have to deal with the world, the people of the world, the agendas of the world, the actions of the world, and whatever else is around you. You obviously have to deal with it. But it's saying, keep a safe heart distance. So that it's very clear that you are not taken up by this thing. It's there, you can relate to it, but, but that's what it's there. I remember on one occasion, uh, I won't mention who it was, but uh, I was someone in the same room watching TV, and there was a football match happening, and that person had to quickly go off to attend to something. So when he came back, he came back rushing, and he said, quickly to me, I said, what's called? And my answer was, yeah, uh, 
the guys in red, one of them is He stood there and said, you know what? I can give the world, oh thank you to your Bible in action. I can give the world to what is so master lived in it. I've never forgotten that. We're watching the same thing. But for one, to the other world, the guy is in great scores. So it's not so much what it is you are doing. The question is how much of it has so grasped you, gripped you, that your heart is gone. How much of it? That's the point. And the reason why there is this exhortation is because we still carry with us a fallen nature. Which, because it is fallen, is attracted to areas that God says no. It's attracted to things that God says don't. We still possess that nature. It wars against our renewed being. And the moment you begin to give it a bit of space, it is like the, the Arabian camel. It just the water says, no, just my head, just, just my head. I need to warm my head a little bit in your tent. And you say, well, yeah, that's wrong, bringing your head. Before you know it, it's putting it shoulders, saying, you know, just my shoulders to, to enjoy a little warmth in there. Okay, okay. The nest is pushing in its stomach to do that kind of thing. And before you know it, it shows outside the tent and it's inside the tent. The whole coming. Sin is never satisfied. Godlessness is never satisfied. In fact, it never satisfies you. It never does. And so it's inch by inch by inch. And before you know it, your Christianity is skin deep. It's simply something you do as they say in English, tipping your head in that direction. But your heart, your mind, your passion, your zeal, whatever it might be, has gone to something else. And God is displeased with you. Therefore, we must deliberately be in conflict with that which was against the salvation of our souls. Exactly. Because that's why this phrase means don't love the world. It's saying put on the armor of God and put up a gallant fight for the sake of your soul and hinge your heart from that which is sinful, from that which is godless, from that which God is not happy with. Because it means it's all in the world, it's all in the context of the rule of the evil one. Salvage yourself. Well, John is going to reason here. And the reason he did this is, if anyone loves the world, 
the love of the Father is not in That's the truth. In other words, you cannot love God. It's not possible. To the extent to which you love the world, that's the extent to which you do not love God. It's an opportunity cost. That's John's message. And it was also the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he said, You cannot save two masters at once. You will save one and despise the other. You cannot save both God and man. And that's the creator of the universe himself. The one who knows our hearts is the one who speaks like this. For those of you taking notes, that's Matthew 6, verse 24. You cannot love both. It's impossible. Believe what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. Because what John is saying, and what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, is that the world seduces you away from loving God. And you end up loving other gods with small cheese. They take the place of God. Now often, the way we think is that, no, 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 I'm happy both players. I'm, 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 I'm in this and I'm, I'm in that. Very well. No, you're not. The one who knows your heart knows you are not. You are in a position of compromise. And very soon, that position of compromise will lead you to compromise your faith. And further on, it's going to lead you to compromise your spirituality. I often hear speaking to a young man, a young lady who's in love with a young Christian, and you say, Now, is that person a Christian or not? And this is what they say. This is the difference. Part. Well, you know, uh, according to baptism, uh, the person may not be Christian. Ah, where the change come from? <laughs> Suddenly, it's according to Baptists. What about according to the Bible? Uh, yeah. Now, what do you think is happening? It's the fact that you play around so much with the people of the other kingdom that you now began compromising what you actually knew all along. You began turning down. Well, you know, yes, you know, and Baptist, this is what we have said, you know, others may say differently. And it's a resource concerning. But all because that playing around, jumping into the kingdom of the evil one has brought about a compromising of your faith, your doctrinal position, and it has now also led to the compromising of your life. So standards of morality and godliness that at one time you cherished, you began to bring down behind closed 
Let us never forget, friends. There are two kingdoms. And the two kingdoms are at war. Yes. They are at war. You cannot love God. Even at the human level, it doesn't happen. You see one of your friends, at least you think he's a friend. You see him or her playing with your sword enemy. That person has been fighting about you, gossiping, slandering your name, and that's trying to make you lose your job or something, whatever it might be. You see your friend now. <laughs> And then that friend now comes to you and says, like, you <laughs> You can't be fraternizing with my enemy like that and come and fraternize with me. Surely! You are either being a hypocrite with me or a hypocrite with my, my sworn enemy. That's just the way that it is. It is your God. Who counts you as belonging to him, one of his soldiers, to go and reach the world. And then he sees you fraternizing with the world. With everything you've thrown yourself into it. It doesn't make sense. Oh, bring it to Rosa. Young man, you cannot be in love with two women at the same time. Again, it's the usual thing. You, know. you find a man perhaps who's in an adulterous affair, and the things have been found out. Uh, the wife is now very angry with him, and he says, But I love you also. <laughs> and as one woman said, I think our definitions of love must be different. This is right. You, you cannot fall in love with two women at the same time. You can't. The moment you are allowing your mind to go one way, you are pulling it back from the other. That's what's happening. And you can't say, no, 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 especially for those of us who are still in question. You can't say, no, 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 no. You know how it's only a working day that I will find and say, forsaking of others. <laughs> Clinging only to you as long as life shall last. It doesn't happen like that. It's simply attitude. If the spirit exchange involves in front of a, a pastor, doesn't change the heart. You must be a person who says, I have now committed myself to this individual and consequently after taking all of us. I belong to this person. And consequently, on the wedding day, you are simply pronouncing what is true about you. Any other sisters? Thank you very much. Let me speak on behalf of brothers also. And we are back into football. You cannot cheer two teams at the same time. They are playing against each other. And now they are red and blue. So the rest go, Then the ball goes down and they go, So those that look at you and say, 
violence fear away, God is not being respected. God is not Oh, those of you, suppose I'm part of you there, go on Facebook. It's very easy. Just go to your last ten postings. Eh? Your last ten, just go to them and look at them. And see where your heart is. Because nobody told you what you do. You did it yourself. Yeah. And let's see whether that's honoring to God, showing people that you love the Lord, you serve the Lord, you live for the Lord. But let's see whether that's all in a sphere where God is the Lord. So this is not philosophical. It's not, you know, something, sometimes you ask a person, uh, or something which is straightforward, mm-hmm. eh? like, you give me to church today, and it goes, what you mean? What do you mean? My teenagers have got more than one meaning. This is not something you have to say what you mean. Uh-huh. You can know where your affections are. And what John is saying here is true. Do the right thing. That's what he's saying. The fact that your heart is dealing is going in the wrong way. It's going in the wrong way. You don't say the wrong way. No, 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 no. It's like, he deserves it. Be godly. You're supposed to overcome the world. You're supposed to overcome the evil one. With the word of God. Get your life together. Say to the world, this is it. The Lord is my master. He is my king. I will live for him in this world. Don't allow the world to mess you up. So this view that a mount cast between God and the world, throw it out. It's easier to keep light and darkness in the same room than to have a heart that loves God and loves other things at the same time. That's what we say. The right attitude should be, I want to love one, my God. I want to serve him. Every time I find my heart wandering to other things, I must pray, I must speak, I must scream, I must do whatever is in my power to bring my heart to the right place that I might glorify my God. What the human being says, faith should be a Jesus is mine.